Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to the official podcast of First Alliance Church in Great Falls, Montana, creating passionate followers of Christ. Today's message is from lead pastor John Reese. All of us at some point in our lives are going to face something that seems insurmountable to us. And the question that I'm going to be asking you this morning is, what's bigger, the challenge you're facing in your life or your God? Max Lucado said this, he said, your Goliath doesn't carry a sword or shield. He brandishes blades of unemployment, abandonment, sexual abuse, or depression. Your giant doesn't parade up and down the, the hills of Ella. He prances through your office, your bedroom, your classroom. He brings bills you can't pay, grades you can't make, people you can't please, alcohol you can't resist, pornography you can't refuse, a career you can't escape, a past you can't shake, and a future you can't face. He says, you all know well the roar of Goliath. We all have things in our lives that produce fear in us, and and there's no emotion that is quite as debilitating as fear. One minute we're feeling reasonably confident about things, and then the next minute we find ourselves blindsided by something that we think is going to take us down. You know, fear comes when we're confronted with something that we don't feel like we have control over. It could be a threat to our health or concern for our children or worry about our financial situation or our our, our professional success. But whatever it is, it's something that we feel that we don't have what it takes to handle or at least we're uncertain what the outcome is going to be. But as immobilizing as fear can be, it teaches us something that we need to learn. It teaches us that we are inadequate. It's true. That life is too much for us at times. And that no matter how much we can handle, there's always something out there that we can't handle that's going to come along and confront us in our lives. And when we're sobered by our inadequacy, we become more acutely aware of God, our need for God in our lives. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about facing the giant of fear with faith in God. Today we we come to one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in the Bible, 1 Samuel 17. It's a story that is very well-known. We usually think of it as a children's story, but this is anything but a children's story. It's the story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath in our culture has become kind of a stock phrase for any time a little guy takes on a bigger guy and defeats him. You know, it's when the smaller team takes on the more powerful team and it's a real huge upset. Could be a battle where a smaller country takes on a bigger country and they win the battle. It could be in business or politics or whatever. But we have these stories about these underdogs that win contests. David is the Rocky Balboa of the Bible. 
You know, nobody thought Rocky had a chance against the world champion. And, and as you know, he eventually conquered this big giant. And uh, because he reached down deep, he found something he didn't know he had. And, and, and he believed in himself and he won the battle. Now, if you think that that's what this story is about, you've totally missed it. Because this story is not about reaching down deep into our life and finding something we didn't know we had and beating the giants in our lives. It's something completely different than that. It's about trusting in God, not in ourselves. And so all that positive talk you're getting that tells you believe in yourself and you can win, that's not what this story is about. This story is about who is your God? And, and the key verses in this passage that we're going to be looking at are, are, are verses 45 and 46, where David finally confronts Goliath, and he says this. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. And to David, it's his God who gives him the victory. It's, it's not something that he finds in himself. Time and time again throughout our lives, we're going to be faced with a variety of giants, giants that even if we believed in ourselves, we wouldn't have the resources to handle. But no matter how big the giants are, our God is bigger. And all God asks is for us to trust in him. So this morning, we're going to go through a rather large portion of Scripture. I was debating on doing this over two weeks or three weeks or even more, and I'm going to do it in one week. So we're going to just do the bigger picture this morning and, not, and miss some of the details, okay? But first, I want to look at the giant that David faced. We're told in 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 10, that a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the, Israel, the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and a coat of shale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs were bronze greaves, the bronze javelin that's, that slung on his back, and a bronze javelin slung on his back. His spear staff was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down here and fight me. Instead of our, our, our armies fighting each other, you find somebody who can match up against me and, and you come against me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and servants. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. 
And then down in verse 16, we're told, for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. The author of 1 Samuel takes a lot of time to describe this imposing figure. He was called Goliath of Gath. And the first thing we notice about him is he's huge. The height was six cubics in a span, and, and converting these ancient measurements yields a, a height of about nine feet, six inches tall. Now, that's big, bigger than people today. It's not bigger than a man in Illinois in 1940 named Robert Wadlow, of whom it's verified that he was eight feet, 11 inches tall, so he was an inch under nine feet tall. Uh, that's only seven inches shorter than Goliath. But, you know, the Bible does speak in ancient times of, of, of descendants of people who were, were giant-like people. The, the Nephilim and, and the, the descendants of Anak uh, were people who terrified the Israelites and they were described as giants. So it, it sounds like there were, there were very large people in ancient times. But not only was Goliath's height imposing, his armor was intimidating as well. And, and the author describes it in detail. It says his armored coat weighed 5,000 shekels. That's about 126 pounds. Just thinking, have you ever worn a backpack that weighed 50 pounds or 80 pounds? This man's armor was over 100 pounds. Bronze plates covered his massive legs. Goliath looked like an impregnable fortress. He carried a javelin of bronze. His spear was so large that the, the point of it weighed 15 pounds. Have any of you thrown a shot put? <laughs> A shot put is 16 pounds, so it's about the, the point of his spear was about the weight of a shot put. You know, first impressions of this giant were psychologically overpowering. He, he, he came across as this invincible foe. And daily, he intimidated the Israelites. In verse 10, we're told that he said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Now, now for, your, for a minute, just picture yourself being there. Here's this brute of a man, this hairy, ugly, battle-scarred warrior repeatedly calling you out. He's undefeated in battle. And he's challenging you to a fight. You know, clearly the odds are stacked against anybody foolish enough to engage him in combat. For us, Goliath represents spiritual opposition to God and his people, especially manifest by Satan and his demonic forces. Arthur, Arthur Pink writes this. He says, Goliath pictures to us a, the great enemy of God and man, the devil, seeking to terrify and bring into captivity those who bear the name of the Lord. Not only did his massive size reflect Satan's power, but 
Goliath's mocking jeers depicted Satan's hostility and hatred toward God and his people. There's, the, there's nothing Satan wants to do more than to de- demoralize the people of God. So secondly, what was the people's response to Goliath? Well, the natural candidate to go up against this giant was King Saul. After all, going before Israel in battle was what he was supposed to do. Hadn't the Israelites earlier said, we, we want to be like the other nations, we want a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles? And didn't Saul stand a head and, head and shoulders above the people of Israel? Wasn't he a very big man himself? And, but, 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 but Saul, like everybody else, was terrified by Goliath. We're told that down in verse 11. If you think about it, this is going to be the first battle that Saul would have to face after having been rejected by the Lord and abandoned by the Holy Spirit. In the past, he relied on God for help, but this time he's kind of on his own. And Saul really didn't have the courage it took to stand up against this giant. Actually, no one had the courage to answer Goliath's challenge. None of the seasoned fighting men in Israel who had been through many battles were willing to take on this foe. And so for every morning and every evening, for over a month, 40 days, Goliath marched out there flaunting his size and strength, defying anyone to answer his challenge. Louis Giglio says this, he says, plenty of us face a similar predicament every day, although we're not fighting literal giants. We're fighting some sort of insurmountable challenge or problem that rips into our lives. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's feelings of rejection that kind of permeate so many areas of our lives. Maybe it's a sneaky giant of complacency. He asked, have you ever felt like King Saul and the Israelite army did? Some kind of giant stands before you, taunting you, harassing you, insulting you, and day after day this giant robs you of power. You've tried any number of approaches to stop his taunts, but you feel immobilized, held back, slowed or stopped from moving forward in a healthy way. You know you're not living the kind of life God wants you to live, but you don't know what to do about it. It's likely all of us have something lurking nearby, stealing our joy. Could be a habit, could be a memory, or a way of thinking that we've grown accustomed to. It doesn't have to be alcoholism or anorexia or depression. Giants come in all shapes and sizes, subtle and stark. The good news, however, is that whatever your giant is, It's not God's plan that you live with it standing in the middle of your life, demoralizing you day by day. Do you believe that? He says, these giants harm you and rob rob God of his glory in your life. God wants you to live free. He wants your giants to fall, and with his help, they will. No matter how many times you've tried before or how loud the voice is that says you'll never be different than you are, God says something else. He says you can live free. Do you believe that? 
He says the plan forward toward freedom is doable and straightforward. It invites your success. But first we have to realize it's not a simple wish that your giant falls someday, sometime. No, it's a mandate. Goliath must fall. And he adds this one phrase at the end. More accurately, Goliath has already fallen. Past tense. The real work is already done by Christ. Jesus has taken down the foes that we face in our lives. Now what Louis Giglio is saying is he's saying that based on the finished work of Christ on the cross, the enemy's already been defeated. And yet we give in to the enemy all the time. There is something we need to do. Jesus has conquered our enemy. That doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play. We still are called on to exercise faith in Christ. We still need to lean into Jesus and find his help to overcome the enemy's threats. And we still need to resist the voices in our head that say, you're not going to overcome. You'll never change. The problems in your life are going to have the last word. You're going to be defeated. That is not the voice of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave so that we would not live a doomed life. We don't have to always give in to the giants in our lives. We don't always have to give in to sin. We don't have to always give in to the fear that we have. We can overcome these things through Christ. If you look to Jesus... He will take your giant down and you can live a life that radiates God's glory. But first, you must use the means that God has provided for you to win this battle. You must fight your battle the way David fought his. You must act while demonstrating faith in God. And so thirdly, I want to look at David's response to the giant. The first thing I want to talk about is his motivation. David was jealous for God. We're told that when David arrived at the front lines, he was taking a care package to his brothers who were fighting for Saul, fighting in the armed forces. And and so he was sent from home and he's taking this care package to them. And in verse 22, we're told that David left the things with the keeper of supplies. He ran to the battle lines to greet his brothers and As he was talking with them for the first time, he hears Goliath, the the Philistine champion from Gath, step out from his lines and and shouted his usual defiance. And David hears it now, okay? And when the Israelites saw the man coming, he noticed they all ran in great fear from him. The Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out and defies Israel. And then they tell this they say the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him he'll also give his daughter's hand in marriage to them you'll be part of the royal family if you take this giant on and win and he will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel and David's standing there watching all this and he and he says you know What's going to be done for the person that kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, what's interesting about what he says here is that verse 26 contains the first recorded words of David spoken in the Bible. The first time you hear him speak, this is what he says. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That tells you a little bit about this man. This first time he speaks, he really asks two questions. He says, what's your reward for anyone who puts the end to this mockery? That's the kind of question we'd ask, right? And then why is everyone just letting this Philistine get away with defying the armies of the living God? And notice he doesn't just call Goliath the Philistine. He actually calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. And by calling Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine, David isn't just trying to insult him, calling him a bad name. To be uncircumcised was to be outside the Abrahamic covenant and the promised blessings of God. David was saying that Goliath is not part of the people of God. And he's really saying this. He's saying this pagan worshiper of dead gods is mocking the armies of the living God. And everyone's standing there letting him get away with it. To David, the Israelites are not the servants of Saul. Goliath called them the servants of Saul, but he calls them the armies of the living God. And whereas Saul and the army of Israel were afraid because they saw an enemy that was too strong for them to conquer, David has a spiritual perception. Saul and his men looked at Goliath and thought, he's too big, we could never kill him. He wins. David saw the same man and thought, he's too big. I can't miss. He's going down. (laughs) Roger Ellsworth paraphrases uh, Goliath's taunt this way. He says, Goliath is saying, you know, am I not a pagan in your eyes? A God-hating Philistine? If I am, then why... Won't any of your men, men of the living God, fight me? You call your God the living God. You must really not believe in him at all. In fact, you must believe that a nine-foot warrior is actually stronger than your living God when it comes to a real battle. (laughs) How many of you know that the world taunts the people of God? They always have and they always will. They say in a variety of ways, you know, you call yourself a Christian. Let's see what happens when you're tempted by lust. And they, they, they love it when a Christian falls. Because, you know, you want to see something that gets a lot of press. It's when a, a religious person falls in, in the area of lust. And, 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 and or a Christian falls and is unfaithful to their spouse or something like that. Others, you know, they don't even notice it at all. But, but when a Christian does, they, 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 they latch onto that and they say they're, they're, they're hypocrites, they're failures. And then, or you get some terrifying diagnosis in your life, your medical diagnosis, and, and, and you just, you know, lose all hope. And, or you start portfolio crashes and and, and you crash with it. You know, they look to see, do we really believe in our God? And there's nothing they love more than to see us fail. 
They're watching to see if we really trust in the God we claim to believe in, or do we live in a state of perpetual fear? King Saul would not risk his own neck against the Philistine. Instead, he promises to reward someone who'll take care of him for him. He promised him great riches, membership in the royal family through the hand of his daughter, and best of all, a lifelong exemption from taxes. What could be better than that? You know, surely everybody should be lining up to get a chance to have all this. And yet, not a single Israelite, these are war-hardened Israelites, they've won many battles, but not a single one took him up on his offer except for a shepherd boy, David. The real problem was that Saul and his armed men had lost faith in God. It wasn't that they formally denied the Lord, of course. There's no reason to believe they had given up their orthodox profession of faith. But the test of faith is not ultimately in one's words. It's in their actions in the face of trials and spiritual warfare. Do we act as if we know who we serve? A God who's greater than every other power? A Savior who's willing to save us from all dangers? The question was answered by Saul and his men by their failure to act. And it's answered by every Christian today by his or her responses to threats and temptations. You know, which do we think is really greater? The sin that mocks us? The fear that plagues us? Or the God we profess we believe in? If we believe in God, we, we're going to step into the battlefield and take a stand against the thing that's paralyzing us with fear in our life. People, our God is too small. He's too small. David was jealous for God's glory, but when, the, when we let the enemy walk over us, we're giving in to him. We're letting him trash God's property. You are the property of God. You belong to him. Satan has no claim on you. Why do you give in to him? Why do you let him have free reign in your life? Why don't you stand up and call his bluff? And when you're overcome with doubt or fear, when you're controlled by worry or give in to depression, you're surrendering God's property to Satan. And when Satan threats you, he's assaulting God. He's fighting a war of intimidation. But we don't need to give in to him. We must be jealous for God's honor. You are his temple. This church is his body. Don't let God's name be disgraced by your fears. David was conscious that his fight was a fight for God's honor. Secondly, notice though, the David, if you want to win these battles, you have to do what David does. And David refuses to listen to all the voices around him because they're all consistent. They all say the same thing. They all say, Goliath's too great and you're nothing. You don't bring anything to the table. You can't stand up against him. Who are you? Everybody puts down David's faith in this passage. When David heard Goliath mocking the Israeli soldiers... And he saw them 
withdrawing in fear, he asked him, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That didn't go over too well. He's saying that in the, in, in, in the setting where all these soldiers are, these people who had been fighting these battles. And one of the first people we see that, that is really bothered by this is his brother. His brother gets angry at him. Look at verse 28. And then Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, and he burned with anger and asked, Why have you come here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? You hear the mockery there? You're nothing, a little shepherd boy. We're the fighting men. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came here only to watch the battle. Now, don't forget who, who, who Eliab is. He's the oldest son of Jesse, David's oldest brother. He's the one that when Samuel saw him, he said, this has to be the next king because he was an impressive person. And God said, no, he's not the one. And then he watched his other brothers come in and none of them were the right one. And then finally, they go and find the youngest one who's out in the fields watching the sheep where David's always at. He's always given that job. He comes in before Samuel and he watches Samuel anoint his younger brother, the next king of Israel, the younger gets blessed above the older. That's often hard for an older brother to handle, and it certainly was in this instance. He, Eliab is annoyed with his brother's questions, you know, about why no one's going to stand up to the Philistines. And, 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 and he thought, who is he to question our bravery? And when David said, you know, I want to fight him myself, it was like, kid, you're embarrassing us. The, the, Israel, the, the army is filled with experienced fighters. You're not an experienced fighter. None of them are willing to take on Goliath. And you want to fight him? You've lost your mind. And, and, and so in anger, he reminds David how insignificant he is. He says, you're just a shepherd boy. That's all you are. Who are you to talk down to us? And David responds, what have I done wrong? I just wanted to speak. I just want my turn to say something. And, and then he turned and he asked some other people there the same thing and they gave him the same answers. And, and David's courage is insulted by these veteran fighting men. It exposes their fear. His courage exposes their fear and they hate him for it. And they don't hesitate to tell him that he's really nothing. He has no qualifications to speak. And nobody there knows that this young man was the one through whom God said he would deliver his people. He would be their next king. Nobody here knows that. We see in this count that, count that Saul also doubted him. If you look down a little further, you see that when news came to Saul that there was somebody that was willing to take the challenge, he has David come to him. And in verse 13, Saul says to him, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy and he's been fighting, a fighting man from his youth. You, know, you, you can't take him on. And David says, uh, just a second. Let me share with you my resume. Let me give you my credentials. He says, yeah, I'm a shepherd. 
He says, but your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried sheep off from the flock, and I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth, and it turned on me and I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul says, I don't have any other options. Go and the Lord be with you. When he finally comes face to face with the giant, the giant mocks him. He can't believe who they sent to fight him. In verse 42, he looked David over. You know, he looks, looks him over. He looks at who he is. And, and he saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. David and by his gods, the Philistine gods. He says, come here, he said, I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. You know what that's called? That's called trash talk. (laughs) It's, It's a tool you use to intimidate people. We used to use that in sports all the time. But the point is, everybody doubted David could do anything. If David listened to these men, he would have never believed he could have done anything at all for God. But David saw something nobody else saw. He saw God. He trusted God more than what he could see. I love what Eugene Peterson says about David. He says this, David practiced the presence of God so thoroughly that God's word, which he couldn't literally hear, was far more real to him than the lion's roar, which he could hear. In other words, he heard what he couldn't hear more clearly than what he could hear. And every time you and I try to take any kind of territory for God, there's going to be someone who's going to say, you don't have what it takes. You can't do this. It's impossible. Lynn Anderson shared, you know, when their church was considering a building expansion, he said this. He went to his board and he says, I feel uneasy about what we're doing right now. We're in a period of economic recession. And one of his elders challenged him by saying, you know, I've done a little research Our church's first expansion was in 1929. Do you know what was happening in 1929? He says the second expansion was in 1937. He says, my father only recently paid off the debts he incurred during the depression of the 1930s. And then he went through and said, all five of our prior building projects have come at times of economic depression. And Anderson says this, I thank God for my elders' faith. My pessimism was killing our project. Now, the point here isn't to push ahead and be unwise. Not every expansion project is God's will. I don't have an expansion project we're trying to do right now. That's not the point of this. The point is, find what God wants you to do and do it. There are things that God wants to do in your lives. But too often, you doubt that they can be done. We doubt that that relationship that has been broken can be restored. We, don't, we can't visualize it being restored. We don't take God into account in terms of what he can do. 
We doubt our habits can be broken. These habits have plagued us all of our lives, and we, we give in to them every time. We doubt that that could ever change. We doubt our teenager's heart can be changed. The enemy scorns the child of God's faith. He convinces us we'll never win against the giants in our lives, and so we get locked into this negative mindset, and we start to calculate the odds of winning without putting God in the equation, and we too tell ourselves it can't be done, and we cower in fear before the enemy, and we give up before we start. But David wouldn't listen to the voices around him. He listened to God. Thirdly, then, we see that David fought his battle in the name of the Lord. David didn't trust himself to beat Goliath. He trusted God. And armed with that trust, he took the giant down with a slingshot. The story reminds us that God works for those who look to him. God is glorified not through our strengths, but our weaknesses. We don't have to be strong in ourselves. We have to be strong in our faith and strong in the Lord. God is waiting for us to trust him so he can overpower the giants that are trying to overcome us. Goliath is still big. He's still imposing. All the odds are against David. There isn't a guy in the Philistine camp that believes he can win against their champion. And in the Israel camp, Israeli camp, they're not betting on David either. But David didn't need their backing. He needed God, none other. And after picking up some stones, he approaches the gigantic Philistine warrior and he makes him laugh. What a joke. But the fight lasts 10 seconds and David walks away with the giant's head. If something is God's will, then he's going to do it no matter how big the obstacle you have to get over. You can't look at the giants in your life. You have to look at your God. And what we often call a closed door could be an opportunity for faith. I'm sure Goliath looked like a closed door to Israel, but David saw him as an opportunity for God to show his strength. And in the battle with Goliath, David declared his faith in God. He said to the giant who had just trash-talked him, he said this, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin. You come with all this armor and, and these weapons, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The weapon he brought was God's name. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. He's telling him in advance what he's going to do. <laughs> That's called trash talking. It's his turn. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Sounds too obvious to say, but the battle is the Lord's. Too often we fight our battles in our own strength. You know, we take into account only our own resources. 
And that may get us by for a while, but sooner or later, we're going to find ourselves in a situation that our gifts, our knowledge, our character, our expertise, our, our abilities, or whatever, aren't going to be able to handle. And we need to remember that the battle is the Lord's. It's God confidence we need, not self-confidence. So as the the worship team starts working their way back up here and we're going to get ready to have communion together. Let me ask you, what is the Goliath in your life? What is the, the, the giant in your life? Everybody here is fighting probably a different giant. For some of you, it might be fear. You live in perpetual fear. You're always thinking about the next thing that's going to happen. You wake up in fear. You live in fear through the day. You listen to the news. You have fear. Maybe your giant is rejection. You grew up in a performance-based environment and, and were consumed with the desire to please people and, and you think that people are only gonna love you if you perform flawlessly and pretty soon you realize you don't perform flawlessly and, and, and you, you, you're afraid of rejection. You wanna please people. Maybe your giant is anger. You try to control your anger, but it blows. And every time it blows, it leaves a wake of destruction and you start to hurt the people around you and you, you don't want to blow, but you do blow and you keep blowing and you, you keep failing and, and you just feel like, I can never get a handle on this. It controls me. Or maybe your giant is an addiction. There's so many different addictions that we fight. There's addictions of like alcohol and drugs and porn and gambling and spending and binge eating but there's other addictions that are much more subtle like having wrong friends and not being able to break free from them or negative thinking about everything but there's a lot of addictive behaviors in our lives that we give into repeatedly and we've given into them for so long that we can no longer envision God giving us a victory over them we all have a giants that torment us and we often surrender to them in fear but Jesus says, I came to give you an abundant life. He says this. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the thief wants to do. But I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Louis Giglio says this. Jesus didn't come to earth to die on the cross and be resurrected from the grave so that we could settle for a reduced amount of God's best. Jesus intended for us to live, really live, and that means we can live freely in the power that he has accomplished for us. It starts with seeing and believing that whatever giant rebelling is or however big it might be, it's not bigger than Jesus. Nine feet tall, nothing at all. He wants you to be free. As the people who are going to help spread the, share the communion, come forward right now. I'll just lead us in a word of prayer. Father, as we just kind of think about this well-known story, help us to understand the significance of fighting in the strength that you give us rather than fighting in our own strength. Give us victory over the enemies in our life. Give us freedom from these habits that tear us apart, these fears that weigh us down, and these sins that keep us from being who God wants us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you are blessed by the message today. Follow us on social media to keep up to date with church news and events.